I'm going to share a message today entitled, The Life of Freedom. And it's out of Galatians 5.1. And this is the message version. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what's already taken place in worship. That freedom we just sense and experience. But Lord, there's some that have not taken that step all the way into that freedom. And I pray today your word will come forth. Separate soul and spirit. Make it clear what they need is you. That they can't rely or trust on themselves. They have to trust in you, Lord. So let this word come alive. And Lord, just, uh, just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As you saw in that video, freedom is not free. It has a price. And we're celebrating Independence Day. We're going to... And a lot of people in America really do not have a clue of the price that was paid, the sacrifice that was made, the families. I mean, you just hear so many stories of, you know, young men and women just getting married and that young man or woman having to go off into the service or, or never seeing their firstborn for two years because they're, they're serving so we can have that freedom. Yet there's going to be people today that will be, you know, doing their barbecues, eating their homemade ice cream, shooting fireworks and, and not really have a clue. But the other sad thing is, even in America, this free country, there are about two and a half million men and women that are in jails. They're incarcerated. They're in bondage. They're behind bars. Because they took that freedom and abused it. And there's even more that are trapped in bondage in their own body. That might not be behind a jail cell, but they're in bondage through drugs, alcohol, some sort of addiction, some sort of a fear that keeps them from going about in the community. And then you begin to move into the church. I mean, today we had the freedom to worship, experience the presence of God. But a lot of people don't realize the price that was paid for us to be able to do that. I mean, God loved us so much that he sent his only son. I have one son. I mean, I love some people in this room, my family. I don't believe I could give him as a sacrifice for one of you to save. And that's the thing you need to understand. If you're the only person on this earth, I still believe God would have sent his son to die just for you. But do we know what Jesus went through? I mean, we're talking about, you know, nailed to a cross, but before that, I mean, they put a bag over his head, some of the biggest, toughest Roman soldiers, they pulled his beard hair out, put a bag over, punched him in the face, say, prophesy who hit you, son of God. And then they took a cat of nine tails, a whip with leather strands, nine strands at the end of every one of their strands. There was a piece of pottery, glass, or metal. And those Roman soldiers would just embed that in his back, let it sink in, and then just rip the skin off. They've done tests on cadavers. After 20-some lashes, the organs are exposed. And he went through almost 40. And that's just part of it, besides the thorns and the nails and, you know, on and on. But there was really a, pie, a price paid for our freedom. And sometimes, you can look in Hebrews, it talks, when we just go on our sinful ways, it's like trampling under our foot the blood of Jesus. And so really understand that freedom, but not so much even from that side, but the side of the freedom you can walk in, the freedom you experience and the freedom you can enjoy. Because freedom does have a price. But even in the church, there's so-called Christians that are just walking around in bondage, just slave to sins. But it all seems like we want something for nothing. That's kind of what's happening in America right now. There's this welfare mentality that the government owes them something, and they're just sitting kind of back, you know, just kind of waiting for a handout. But it's sad when that moves into the church. And there's kind of that consumer mentality that, well, I'm going to come and see what I can get today. Or it's a little too hot, a little too cold, or a little too loud, a little too soft, or it wasn't, it didn't please me. Well, it's, is that what it's about? Amen. Because religion is cheap, but a relationship costs you something. But I want to tell you, it's worth it. 
Now, are you walking in freedom? Do you have peace? Because it is possible to live a life of freedom. How many in this room, you've really experienced that life of freedom and hopefully walking in it? Many in this room. And if you haven't, don't leave this place without it. So the first step to freedom, the very first step to freedom is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you invite him into your life. See, I spent 30 years in church, but I basically go to church, and then I leave church and live like the devil the rest of the week. It didn't really make a change in my life, because a little bit of head knowledge, a little bit of information, but I've, it wasn't until about 20-some years ago, a man asked me this question. If you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And I thought, wow, first time somebody just put it like that. Maybe I do more good than bad. Maybe that'll, God will weigh it and I'll squeeze in or maybe I can talk my way in, you know, whatever. But I realized that day it has to be that you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You invite him into your life. You're willing to change and go his way. And then I had a personal relationship and things changed. See, religion is spelled D-O. You have to do. It's about rules. It's about regulations. Religion is man's best effort to reach God. But we're talking about is a relationship. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It was done at the cross. And you've got to receive that. And you have to surrender to it. Amen? But it's possible to live a life of freedom. Romans 6, 16 in the Message Bible. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives you let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you start listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in this freedom. Now, how many have heard of a singer by the name of Bob Dylan? Any young people? There's a couple, several musicians. But he had a period of a couple years, I, I heard rumor that Pat Boone baptized it, but he had two albums that, I mean, there's some black churches and gospel that sing those a bunch. I mean, some powerful songs. But he wrote one song, you're gonna, it's named, titled, You're Gonna Serve Somebody. Now here's the lyrics, a part of it. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. You might own guns, and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're gonna serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. So I'm asking you, who is your master? Because it's either Satan or the Savior. That's it. I thought I could kind of live in this neutral area. Oh, when I get a little older, I'll swing over here or whatever. But it's one team or the other. There is a heaven, there is a hell. It is black, it is white. I mean, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So who's your master? Because Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Savior comes that you might have life and experience freedom. One uses the power of sin to make you a slave. Has anybody sinned? Well, has anybody... How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? How many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? Just one. We all sin. And the enemy knows that the wages of sin, according to God's word, is death. God has to pay you a wage if you sin. And it's to a place called hell, eternal separation from him and his love. 
Now, hell was not designed for humans. It was designed for the devil and his followers, the other third of the angels. But if there's sin in your life, that's where you end up. But God doesn't want you there. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross, that you could have that price paid for. But you have to receive that gift. Amen? And then even when you become a Christian, and I use that term cautiously and with trepidation, because if I do a poll right now in Texarkana, 95% of the people say they're Christians. But I don't know, on your workplace, does it look like 95% of people are Christians? I mean, in your schools, does it look like 95 In church, does it? Oh, I won't go there. But it's amazing how God delivers us from the world, and then we try to see how close we can get back to the edge of it and kind of live there. And what happens? Usually end up falling off. Or you can do this. Where's that? It can kind of be, well, I just want to help my friends out of the world. So I'm going to get over here and, and try to help my buddy get out of the world. Now, who do you think is going to win this match? Even though I'm, I'm fairly stuck. <laughs> what always happens? You can't lift people up to your level. They'll pull you down. Now, Zach, we can do this. Now, Zach, why don't you come to church with me? You know, take a step here. You know, why don't you start reading? You know, help them make those steps. Thank you, Zach. But don't let the world pull you back. Now, I want to ask you another question. Let's say you're a Christian. So now I want to ask, who's on the throne? And when I say throne, your heart, your seat of emotions, you know, all that, that stuff right there, who's really Lord? See, for a while, Jesus was my Savior, kind of like the spare tire in the back of my car when I needed him. Oh, Lord, help me get out of this one. But he really wasn't driving the car. So who was on the throne? Me. Self was on the throne, not Jesus. Even though I felt like I was a Christian, but it was that self. Now, see, you can realize, hey, I'm not serving Satan, and you think you're serving Jesus, but you're really serving yourself. Satan uses sin, and it has a wage, and it's death. Jesus, our Savior, what he uses is surrender. And if you'll surrender and trust, then what does he give you? He gives you peace. And then self relies on fear and pride. Bottom line. Fear, pride. It's either, I mean, fear of man and fear of all these things, or pride. And here's the thing about pride. The root of that is really fear. You just don't want to trust people. And I can fix it myself, or I can take care of it. And then you have to wear this facade. You have to keep this mask on all the time and keep this image. And guess what? It's a weight. See, self, the price for operating in self is weariness. It'll wear you out. As a matter of fact, there's a prophetic utterance in Daniel 7 that the enemy comes but to wear out the saints. I think he's doing a pretty good job. And it's amazing how myself, people in ministry, people in a how we kind of weave in and out of that. All of a sudden we realize, oh man, I'm kind of doing a little too much myself here, a little bit of self's on the throne, and I'm starting to get tired and weary. And let me tell you, there's a promise in Hebrew for all of God's children that he wants to bring you to a place of rest. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about here on earth. Where you cease from those works mentality. Where you cease from the fear of man and carrying all this stuff around all the time. And you begin to release that to the Lord and surrender to Him and begin to really follow Him. When self is on the throne, the devil is still in control and you're a slave. And you're not going to experience life or freedom. 
Now, when the devil makes you a slave, here's what he uses. When you use that word, I had to work my acronym in here real quick. But first, he uses sin, doesn't he? And here's the thing. I tried to kind of come to God on the payment plan. Okay, God, I'm going to give you about 50, 60% now, and then a little more next year, and when I get married, maybe a little more. But see, God's not like Burger King. You can't have him your way. I mean, it's like the Greyhound bus. You get on, let them do the driving. And it's really just giving it all to him. And a matter of fact, in real estate, Karen Moat, I'm sure you realize this, but you can sell 100 acres of land, and if I don't sell the one acre in the middle, I have right to build an access road to get to that land. So you can give all your heart to Jesus except one little area, and the enemy can run in and out of there because he has access to it. He's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. So watch out for that. So Satan will use sin, and then through that comes lust. And lust is just that self. Because that's the thing. When you start getting into the pornography, it'll never satisfy you. Never satisfy you. Even if you're married, you won't be satisfied. Because it's all about you. It's all about taking. It's all about self. And then you'll move into apathy. You just won't care anymore. You just start getting complacent to the things of God and just have a no care kind of an attitude. And then he's got all his vices, just the little things he, he, he grabs you with, all the things you can get addicted to and things that just get in your way. Is television bad? Well, if it starts just sucking up all your time, you know, you've got to start to wonder. But those things are just getting in the way of, of really pursuing God. And his whole goal is the letter E, entrapment. He wants to get you enslaved, entrapped, in bondage. And the thing is sad, the people that are just having a big party all weekend and think they're just having fun, but when you wake up by yourself, there's no peace, is there? I hope it was worth the fun because it... How many have been down that road? And no, it, it just leads to, to nowhere. Amen? Now we got Jesus. I'd rather be a slave to Jesus like the Apostle Paul introduced some of his epistles. Where I'm a slave to Christ because he starts with surrender. Now that seems like, wow, I've got to give everything up. Well, yeah, you give up all your rags for riches. You give all... Give up all your dirt for diamonds, all your sin for some sense of purpose and destiny. So he uses surrender. And what do you get out of it? You get out of love. You begin to understand love. You begin, and this is what, what I heard in the men when they went to the men's ramp was the revelation of how much God loved them. That really helped them to begin to walk this life and walk it out. I mean, you get a revelation that because most of you men have probably not experienced the real love of a father. In most cases, that's why the jails are filled with people right now. Because, you know, when you say you got a good father in heaven, they have no clue about that. But you do have a good father in heaven. He really does care for you. And you can experience a real love and begin to operate in that love. And, it, and when it comes to a marriage, that's when you really begin to see the satisfaction in a marriage. When you give love, what you'll end up getting love back. When you're trying to please that other person, it'll just come back. And then the other thing you get is authority when you really begin to follow him. The Bible says you can have authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing, nothing shall by any means harm you. There's an authority that will begin to come when you begin to walk in this thing. And the enemy is under your feet. Yes, it's a battle, but you have the authority, the Word of God, the, all the tools to fight that battle. And then the V stands for victory. You begin to walk in that victory. Yes, there's battles, but a test doesn't come. I mean, it'll come, but you'll have a testimony out of it. 
and your faith will be tested, but you can walk in victory. And the whole idea is the letter E, to escape all this stuff of the world, to escape those traps of the enemy. And then you'll have that confidence and that sense of authority and victory inside of you that when the enemy sets traps, you'll walk by safely and he'll fall in his own traps because of the Word of God is so strong in your life. So can we really live a life of freedom? Yes, we can live a life of freedom. And guess what? I'm going to give you the answer right now. I'm not going to wait to the end. There was a college professor that the first class, he would give you the final test and lay it out there. I like that kind of teacher. But his colleagues were like, what are you doing? That's, why are you doing that? He said, well, maybe I'm not thinking right here, but don't we want him to learn? And so I want to show him where we're going, and then I'm going to teach him how to learn this thing and end up acing that test. And so I want you to know the answer right now. First of all, I said, Satan or the Savior, right? You choose, life or death, one or the other. But then when you move into that Savior round, the church scene, then it's either self or the Spirit. So the answer is, be full of the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And I'm going to kind of tell you in a little more depth, especially using this powerful weapon. Oh, I didn't get a chance to do that. Real quick. Na, 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 na. What are we doing when we're chopping off devil's heads? Repeat after me. This word has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. Give Jesus a hand clap if you believe that. And not only that, according to Hebrews 4.12, this word is living and powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I'm just laying it out here. See, because right now some of you are getting uncomfortable. Because why? All your flesh and spirit has just been all gobbled up. It's just all kind of combined together. And that's why you really don't know God's voice. Because you really haven't spent enough time with Him, but everything's all mixed up. And because God wants to speak to you. But those thoughts you get in your mind are either yours, the devil's, or God's. But when they're all mixed up, you can't sort through it. And usually your flesh is the loudest voice. Because the voice of the Spirit is very quiet. Just like we learned with Elijah. It wasn't in the windstorm, it wasn't in the lightning. It was in that still, small voice. And so the Word can come and divide your soul and spirit. So right now, you're kind of, some of you are grasping this. You're moving a little closer to that freedom. So don't leave here without just going all the way for it while that soul and spirit is separated where you really hear God's voice. And I go on in verse 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Don't look at your neighbor. Everybody's naked right now. But not in clothes, but spiritually, God can see right through you, right through me. He can see your very thoughts. He can see your very intentions. He can see all the way to the very marrow, to the, to the joints and bones. He sees it all. And it says, to which you must give an account. You're going to have to give an account someday when you stand before him, what you do, what you did with the ministry God gave you. First of all, how many are ministers in here? Everybody needed to raise your hand. It was a trick question. Not really. You are all ministers of the gospel. The word minister means servant. See, we, somehow we've drawn this line between the clergy and the laity, between the pulpit and the pews. 
But really, we're called according to Ephesians 4 as pastors, apostles, prophets, uh, you know, teachers, that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God has gifted you to accomplish some things. Some of you are full-time teachers, but when you make the shift like uh, Pastor Travis's wife, Whitney, yeah, she goes there full-time and, and she gets a salary and a paycheck, but she's a full-time minister. I mean, she's in there constantly. Lacey, same thing, right? I mean, wherever you work, for the government, for the state, you are. And so you've got to begin to ask God, man, what are my gifts? What are my abilities? And we have a class called the Connect class, which we're not, we didn't dismiss today. We're keeping you in here. But it's how to connect to God, how to connect to friends, but how to connect to ministry. Because God has put gifts and talents in you. Not all of you will be behind a pulpit, but all of you have been given a gift to do something for God. And you're going to be held accountable for that gift. And we have some faithful people out there that hand out bulletins every week. Miss Ann's not here. I thought we ought to just shut the church down today. Our faithful uh, greeter wasn't here. But I mean, she's called to do that, and God's going to bless her for being faithful in that area. We're going to have to give an account. 14, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast our confession. When you make that confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, do not let go of it. Do not let the devil pry it out of your hand and talk you out of it. Hold on to that confession, because that way when God looks down, when you hold that confession, He doesn't see all imperfections. He sees His Son in you. That's what He sees. He sees that blood of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need, so we can receive help in time of need. So, if you're tired and you're weary, if you're struggling, if you're whatever, come to the throne of grace. Come to Jesus. And here's what I'd ask him. Jesus, what do you think I need? And it, how many have really asked a question and actually stopped and listened? Most of our prayer time is, God, help me. God, I need this. And then we go on through our day. I mean, actually ask a question. Open a notebook. Put your pen down and begin to write and trust God. Or just listen and begin to see. I bet this is what he would tell most of us. Well, this is what he's telling you right now. Through his word and through me. He's telling you, you need the Spirit. See, Jesus left the disciples were already said, don't worry, I'm going to send a comforter, my spirit, the teacher, the one to lead you in all things. And he's saying, you need to be full of the Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. With the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's part of it. Look in the book of Acts. It's there. So you need this thing. Because before Jesus started his ministry, he was baptized and when he was baptized, the heavens opened up. And when they opened up, it said a dove descended on him. The Holy Spirit descended on him. And then he went out and did begin to do ministry. He was led out to do ministry. The disciples, I mean, they saw the miracles. They walked with him, talked with him. But when Jesus hung on a cross, I mean, Peter took off, denied him. And then even after he, he came back, they went fishing. That's what they did. Great impact. But Jesus told him, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait because you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a power I want to give you. to See, it talks in Romans about the law of sin and death. There's a law. You just naturally gravitate towards sin. You can take a three-year-old. I mean, chocolate all over his face. And were you in that candy, eating that candy bar? No, no, no. I mean, just we just gravitate towards sin. See, there's certain laws. 
And one law of sin is just like gravity. If I step off of here, I'm going to hit the bottom. I'm going down. But yet there's some things that defy gravity. Airplanes defy gravity. Why? Through the law of lift. It's some dynamic, aerodynamic principle. They start going, all of a sudden they're defying gravity. It talks in Romans that there's a law of sin and death, but there's a law of the spirit of life. When you get into this thing and really get full of the spirit, you can soar above this thing called the flesh and self and all these traps and things of the enemy. It says in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You just got to walk in the Spirit. Now I'm going to read Galatians 5, verse 4, and I'm going to read a little bit. I'd like to read the message version because it just really expands it. The New King James is a little faster. Let's read it in a message and follow along. It's a little bit, so stick with me, okay? But I, I think it'll... It'll speak to you. Verse 4, I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's Word is summed up, summed up in a single sentence, love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit. Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness, these two ways of life are antithetical. So that you cannot live at times one way and other times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Stop a moment. You know, I counsel people. Oh, I want to know, do I need to do this? Do I, do I need to leave town? And a lot of times when this phrase comes up, when it starts like this, well, I just feel like... God is wanting me to go this way. Or I just feel like I need to do this. A lot of times, it's because that's what you feel. And usually you're, instead of where you need to be led, I f and you can, you know, get your terminology different, but it's a heart thing. When you're really led by the Spirit to do something, instead of just feel. Verse 18, why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. One does lead to the other, by the way. Frenzy, joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, and you know, listen to this, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in every version. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way the fruit appears in an orchard. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. And it says it. Things like affection for others, 
exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments. Now I ask you, are you really filled and led by the Holy Spirit? Well, I can probably tell. What kind of fruit do you have? When you get squeezed, what kind of juice comes out? Love, joy, anger, outbursts, dissension, complaining, moaning, groaning. And we all kind of go back and forth. But that's why every morning, Lord, I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, how many baptisms have you had? Just think about it a minute. How many baptisms are there? Now, of course, there's a scripture, one, passage, one baptism, one Lord, one church. But in, a, in Hebrews 6, verse 2, it talks about the doctrine of baptisms. It's plural. There's a doctrine of baptisms. And I'm going to give you four baptisms that I just are, are fresh in my mind that I've just kind of researched lately or that I've experienced. The first baptism is when you get saved. The Bible says you're baptized into the body of Christ. Like you put in a body of water, now you put in the body of Christ. Okay, so when you're saved, you're baptized into the body, and when you're saved, you have a new father. Because if you're not a Christian, your father is the devil, the father of lies. Because you have one of two fathers. See, not everybody's a child of God. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. And so when you get saved, you have a new father. And he's a good father. He's a good daddy. And he'll give you a spiritual where you can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And begin to realize that you have a good daddy. That's the first baptism. The second baptism is water baptism. That's where you identify with Christ. Just like Christ was dead and buried and come up brand new, you go under the water, the old life is gone, you come up brand new. In my denomination, I was sprinkled as a little child. Well, praise the Lord. But that's not true baptism. According to the Word of God, it's the word baptismo. It's the word they use when they dye clothes. The only way you get a clothes to change the new colors is you go all the way down and pull it all the way out. And it's a symbol of identifying with Christ, and it's something you have to do when you understand it at the age of accountability. And I tell you, it's the first act of obedience you can do. And so you can get saved, and then you're baptized in the body of Christ, a new father, and then you get water baptized, identify with Christ, and you have a new friend. A friend that'll stick closer than a brother. Now, if you don't do the first act of obedience, how can you really say you're following him? And there's a real thing been coming, I mean, to the powerhouse and to the 20s, the portents of baptism. Sometimes we just well come to the altar and say, no, you need to take that next step and get water baptized. I did it at the age of 30-something. I mean, Wednesday night after the youth service, I don't know how many realized, man, we need to get baptized, and we don't want to wait. They got up here, and they had a baptism service, and it was powerful. The third baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues like it talks about in the book of Acts because it talked about an experience they had in, in chapter 9 about how they were saved, but they hadn't yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. So they went and prayed for them, laid hands on them. They received it. Something happened in their life, but the evidence of it was speaking in tongues. And this is where the enemy really draws a line. You know why? 
Because he doesn't want you to have this power. He doesn't want you to really walk in freedom and be led by the Spirit. How can you be led by the Spirit unless you're full of the Spirit? How can you be full of the Spirit unless you're baptized in the Spirit? And the heart, what's the hardest thing to give up? I mean, God just says crazy things. Hardest thing to control is the tongue. How many have a hard time with your tongue? I'm in. I tell you, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Pray in tongues every day. You remind the Holy Spirit lives in you. I'm not going to get into a whole teaching on that. You're just going to have to search the Lord and ask. But when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that third baptism, you have a new power. I just was totally in bondage to fear. Even after I was saved, I still wouldn't witness, didn't know anything. The moment I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it was just in a Bible study, somebody laid hands on me and said, you're wanting more of God, aren't you? And I said, man, how did he know that? Because I was at this place, I was just hungry, there's got to be more. And he started speaking in tongues, like, oh my gosh, what's that? But I wasn't afraid at that time because I knew it was in the Bible. I knew it was a God thing. And immediately, I said, man, I know I need something. I'll take it. Because I'm asking God for something. See, some churches say, oh, it's from the devil. What is it? What does God's Word say? If you ask your earthly father for a fish, he wouldn't give you a snake. If you ask him for an egg, he wouldn't give you a scorpion. How much more? If you ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, would he give it to you? And I tell you, you can pray with groanings too deep for words and pray when you don't know how to pray and pray the perfect prayer when you pray in that. Yes, there needs to be order in church with it and all those things. But anyhow, you'll have a new power. And the last one, the one you've been waiting for, is the baptism of fire. Then you have a new passion. New father, new friend, new power, new passion. Why do you get this baptism? Because it says in Matthew 3, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The thing about fire, it will purify you. It, fire just purifies. Fire also can bring destruction. But man, bring destruction to the junk in my life. Burn up the garbage. Just burn it up. And the other thing, it's a symbol of passion. When you talk about somebody on fire, it's just a symbol of passion. And the other thing about fire, it's captivating. And when you go to a campfire, you light the fire, you just kind of want to sit there and watch it. But there's something captivating about the fire of God. When you're on fire for God, people will just be drawn to you. They'll begin to ask spiritual questions. I mean, it, it's just wild. What even happened uh, last week, I wasn't here, we took the youth to the ramp. And God is just using certain places as kind of uh, campfires that people can go to and just get a spark or get set on fire. I pray this place be one of those places that people can come. And I believe they are experiencing. The 20s are beginning to have what they call these fire tunnels where people walk through and just people that are on fire for God just praying for them. Just God bless them. The youth are. At the end, we might have a little fire wall. Or if you want, I might have some of the youth. You'd be ready. They'll just be standing up here. And if you want to experience some of that fire... I mean, just, I just need a spark. Just let them agree with you. Because I'm telling you, here's what happened. At, we, uh, we go to the ramp, and I'm not, you know, promoting the ramp, but when you get away somewhere and really seek God, I mean, we went there with the youth the first night. The guy preached a powerful message about how the enemy just kind of gets us sucked in. But the next two nights, I don't even think they preached. They worshiped for like, they did one song for an hour. And they worshiped another hour. But the Lord, the presence of God would come on him. The fire of God would come on him. God began to speak to these young people. He was delivering them, setting them free, doing works in their life. They had a baptism service the next day out in the 100 degree sun right in this, this creek. And I, there's hundreds and hundreds of young people getting baptized. It probably went three or four hours. And then we get to Florida just to have some fun time. And we're staying in a hotel. And there's some other families there in this, in this hotel on the beach. And before I know it, there's this one 
young person as part of this family is hanging around the youth. Next thing, there's some youth that didn't get baptized at the ramp and realize, man, we missed out. So they want to get baptized in the ocean. There's all of our young people down at the ocean, and there's this young man. He's going to get baptized. That's not even a part of our group. Why? Because that fire just drew him. And then I'm feeling more of the fire because I'm standing up on a balcony, and usually my flesh would say, hey, I'm pretty comfortable here. I just had to drink my Diet Coke, watch what's going on. But I saw this young man's family gravitate down there. And they're standing there because they want to see what's happening. And so I say, okay, Lord, I'm going. I go down, I go over to that family. I said, hey, you mind if I, I told them my name, uh, you mind if I just share some good news, some things that happened in my life? Boom, just spent a few minutes, shared my testimony, said I'll pray with you if you want, but, you know, I'm not going to force anything on you. And I just kind of left it at that. And they stayed there watching. And while these kids are getting baptized, right down the, the beach, fireworks are going off. I mean, and literally, one young, who was the young man we had to carry out of the water? Was it, is he here? I mean, they had to carry him out. Laid him on the sand just like a beached whale just laying there, just, just out of it. Because I'm telling you, the fire God came right in the midst of that water. And he didn't stop the fire at all. And then, the, one of the aunts of this young man tries to find one of the pastors. I need to get baptized too. And before it over, another family member got baptized. And I don't know what's going to happen to that family. Just because somebody allowed the fire of God to burn in their life and didn't put it under a bushel and try to hide it. Amen? Let me finish up here. And I'm telling you, young women, you need to find a man of God on fire, not somebody that's just smoking or chewing. Find somebody on fire. Be a lot better off. So you ask, Pastor, say, Pastor Mike, how can I get on fire for God? How can I be led, controlled, literally possessed by the Spirit of God? Well, I'm very glad you asked because I'm going to recap. Number one, you need to get saved. If you've never asked Christ your life, get it right here. Ask Him and He won't force His way in. Number two, get baptized in water first chance you get. Identify with Christ. Let Him be your brother. Number three, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or at least come and ask one of our altar workers... I want more information. We'll give you a pamphlet. Get in your words, start reading. But I'm telling you, it'll be power that'll give you power to where you can say no to the things of the enemy, where you can say yes to the things of God, where you can be led by the Spirit. And then the fourth thing is, man, just get baptized in fire. Well, how do I do that? Just say, I want more of you, God. Let a young person, let somebody that has that fire just pray with you, just to agree with you, that power of agreement. And before you leave here, See, some of you, you're going to have a chance to respond to the altar. Let me kind of finish with this little thought about some things uh, that we see in nature. It's kind of amazing how God created some things. We can use those as examples. Everybody know the big buzzard, the vulture? You can put it in a six-foot pen, and you don't have to put a wire over the top. It can be open because he won't fly out. He can fly, but see, a buzzard has to have 10 feet to run to get to take off. So in a sense, there's freedom available right above him, but he doesn't take it. A bumblebee, you can put in a glass or a jar, and it'll just try to get out the bottom and around the sides and keep going until it eventually dies. No lid on it at all. A bat, you can lay on level ground, and it'll kind of flop around and can't fly. Why? Because it's got to have a little bit of elevation so it can throw itself off to begin to fly. A flea, you can put it in a jar or a box with a lid on it. It'll keep jumping up and bouncing and hitting that lid until it gets tired and stops. You can take the lid off, and it'll eventually die. It won't try again. Some of you in this room, and your life is like that. You're frustrated. You're overwhelmed. You feel like you're trapped. You feel like there's no way out. And I'm telling you, the answer is right above you. The answer is God. And you might have to step away from your fear. 
you might have to put down your pride because you know hell is going to be full of people that have pride because what's the opposite of fear? Faith. You've got to have faith that God can do something at the altar. That God can do something in your eye. What's the opposite of pride? Humility. You've got to humble yourself if you want God to do something. How do you get filled? You've got to empty yourself. And then you can be filled. Just like pulling the drain out of the bath plug, out of the bathtub, and just let the old stuff go out. Say, that's why I, when I pray for people to get filled with spirit, I say, raise your hands. It's just like saying, I surrender. It's like making a funnel. God, fill me up. And it's just the ultimate thing of surrender. And God is faithful. He'll fill you up. And you know what? God knows right where you're at. And our altar workers are always very sensitive to ask you, you know, where are you at in this journey? We want to help you get farther in that journey with your relationship with God. So if you just have questions, they're not going to force anything on you. They'll help you. But I'm telling you, why not take all you can get? Why not let the 4th of July be your day of real freedom where you're saved, filled, baptized, set on fire for God. And I believe what you said, Pastor Joe. Some of you are going to go to your family reunions and little picnics today, and you're going to wonder. You'll you feel the fire burning. And people, just expect them to ask a question. I mean, be ready to give an answer. Share some good news with them. Amen? The last thing, I want our altar team to get ready to come up here. But before you can receive, there's a couple things that might have to happen. Number one, you might need to repent. That's part of the process to receive Jesus. You repent. That means you, 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 you say, I don't want to go this way anymore. And the way you not go away that way is you change the way you think. And you change the way you think, you'll stop the way you act. Because let me tell you about sin. Sin always costs you more than you think it's going to cost you. It'll take you to a place you never thought it'd take you. And it'll leave you a place you never thought it'd leave you. I'm telling you, the enemy will get you trapped and he wants to destroy you. But there's freedom here today. So I'm going to ask several questions. You just raise your hand and respond if you want to agree uh, with prayer in one of those areas. The number one question is, do you need to get saved? Are you 100% sure you go to heaven? If you're not, when I can't, I mean, just, I want you to, just on the count of three to raise your hand. That means, Pastor Mike, I want to give my life to Jesus. One, two, three. Anybody want to give your life to Jesus? See your hand. See your hand. Anybody else? See your hand. You want to get things right with God? I see your hand. Amen. Okay, next question. Let's say maybe you've asked Christ in your life, but you know you've gotten off track. And you're just, you're not living for Him. And you want to just kind of start over today. Let me see your hand in Jesus' name. If you just want to get a fresh start with God. Some of the same hands. See a new hand. New hand. Anybody else? Third question. You need to get water baptized. It's something you've just never done. You did it when you really didn't understand. And the way you do that, you can set up a... If you want to get wet right now, we'll crank it open. But I mean, otherwise, you call the church. We'll have a teaching on it. Do the whole thing. But if you feel like there's something stirring, you need to get water baptized or you at least want more information in that, I want you to raise your hand right now. See your hand, your hand, your hand. Amen. Yours. Amen. The fourth thing, you feel like you just want the fire of God. And you just want God to set you on fire. Lift both your hands. Amen. Lord, you see us. Let it be so in Jesus' name. And the last one, you feel like the bumblebee. You're just kind of in that jar. I mean, you see everybody else experience freedom, but you're not walking in. You just can't get out. I don't want you to eventually die there. Step beyond the fear. Step beyond the pride. If you really want somebody to pray for you for freedom from some area, I want you to lift your hand right now. If you want to just really experience that freedom. Amen. 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 Thank you. Here's how we're going to close. I want our altar workers to come up. 
I want the young people and the 20s, anybody that's experienced some of this fire, I want you to start about here and line up that way. Young people, we're going to form our firewall. I want some of our seasoned adult workers to kind of get over to this side. So if anybody, you just want healing in your body, you want some wisdom or ask questions about the the Holy Spirit and the baptism, if you want somebody to pray for you uh, for healing, kind of over to this side, and we'll pray whatever your need is. If you just want one of these young people to just pray for fire, just let them just pray for you. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to stand to your feet. And especially, those of you that raise your hand, especially for salvation, I want you to come to us so we can give you something. And if you raise your hand for salvation, matter of fact, would you come up here right now if you raised your hand for one of those first two, whether you want to get saved to get things right with God, give him a hand clap. I want you to meet Pastor Joe here so we can give you something. Just make your way over here. Give him a hand clap. Free today. New life today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.